We've been doing a series called Because Jesus, which is a study of the book of Hebrews and this whole concept that Jesus is greater. And today we have an awesome opportunity, a celebration, and I say a celebration, to have someone else come and reflect on God's word. So if you've been studying with us, you know where we've been in the word and where we're at right now. And this morning we have the privilege to invite Isaac Barber to come up this morning and share the word of God with us. He's been preparing all week for that. Come on up, Isaac. Hello, everyone. My name is Isaac Barber. Um, I went to Greenville College. Um, I came to FBC probably three years ago, and you know I was here for about uh, a year and a half, uh, a little over a year and a half. Um, and this has been such a blessing to me. Even when I go back home, um, this is my home church because just because like I love it so much. Um, and yeah, funny story about uh, this church. Uh, our pastor called me Django for about three months, and then one day, one day at breakfast, he was just like, "Hey, man." I can't keep calling you Django. What's your real name? And I'm just like, <laughs> you can't keep calling me Django, but my name is Isaac. And so um, my name is Isaac Barber. Um, I'm 23, and I just love the Lord, and I love FBC. And so we can just dive in. Um, please take notes. If you don't have no cards, no cards are in the back. Um, I just think that taking notes is just so important. And like, even if it's not me, so even if you want to just like wait till next week to take notes. It's cool if you don't want to take notes right now, but if you want a trial period, tonight would be a cool day. I just think that um, it just like, like taking notes just allows um, the Holy Spirit to just manifest in more than just Sunday or in just this week. Um, I just think it's super cool. Um, note taking is just a beautiful thing, and I'm just talking because everyone's grabbing notes, and so I think it's an awesome thing. And so um, we're going to pray. We're going to let Bill sit down. Um, you know, you didn't grab notes. That's cool. And so let's just pray. Um, Lord, we just thank you so much for being a man of your word. Your name, pray. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> I'm the guy you wanted Thanksgiving. Um, and, so t- <laughs> and so today we're going to talk about um, just God being a man of his word and things like that. And um, we're going to talk about Hebrews 6. Um, but I feel like in order to understand Hebrews 6, we need to understand Genesis 12 through 22. Um, because I think the author of Hebrews, he really hits hard um, Abraham and the life of Abraham and how we find our hope in Abraham and through the life of Abraham. All right, everybody understand what I'm saying? I like head nods, I like being interactive. So if you don't like saying anything, yeah, give me a thumbs up or something like that. If you don't understand, if I'm taking too much time, just like tap your watch or something like that, I'll leave and just like speed it up. I have a time counter back there, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so let's roll. And so, um, <clears throat> so I have a story to tell. Um, about my friend Jackson. And so I worked at Durley Camp. A lot of you don't know what Durley Camp is, but Durley Camp is like the campground. A lot of you guys just came back from camp. It's like a campground in Greenville, Illinois. And so I worked at Durley Camp all summer. That's why I've been down here. So if you've been seeing some random black guy in the back, it was me. Um, And so I've been working at Durley Camp all summer. And like, it was beautiful. It was a blessing. It was a really long week's really long months, and it was just wonderful. And so we always had ages from either five years old to high school. And so we have day camp where we have four, five, six-year-olds, and we have first and third graders, and we have fourth and fifth graders. We had middle schoolers twice. And so if you're a middle school kid, don't tell me because, like, I don't know if I like you that much. And so, <laughs> and so we, we, had all these, we had all these different camps. And so um, God camp, no, it was Trailblazer camp. Trailblazer camp is where I met Jackson. Jackson was a different kind of kid, um, and I've really grown to love Jackson, even till today. Um, Jackson was a different kind of kid. He had like a skin rash thing going on, where his skin would be red. He like blisters popping over his face and things like that. Um, and when you're in first grade, it's really hard to deal with, because like 
especially when you go to public school and like kids ask you a bunch of questions, but Jackson didn't go to public school, so he wasn't exposed to those things, homeschool kids, right? And so uh, Jackson came to camp and he was in a cabin full of kids. I was the head male counselor, and so naturally, um, I was always the first cabin full, and so this week we had a lot of kids. And so we were in the cabin with seven first to third graders, seven first to third graders, and Jackson was one of them. And so after day one, they sat me down in the room, and it was like, hey, there's this kid, Jackson, who's going to be in your cabin. Um, he has little issues. He has a little skin thing, but he has irrational fears. And I was just like, irrational fears? Uh, what do you mean by irrational? He was just like, yeah, he's afraid of spiders. That's rational. <laughs> <laughs> but then, he's, and then they say, he doesn't have to see the spiders to be afraid of the spiders. And I was like, oh, that is irrational. And so first day, I thought it was a little freaky. Um, I met Jackson. I was just like, hey, what's up, man? He was a little homesick. And so I you know, eased his mind a little bit. He was also afraid of the dark. Uh, it's not irrational when you're a kid, but like he was afraid of being in the dark. And so the cabin light wasn't on, if like the light outside wasn't on, he'd be freaked out. And so during the day, he would freak out because the nighttime was coming. The sun was setting and the nighttime was coming. So I was just like, okay, so how can you calm a kid down with an irrational fear of the dark and an irrational fear of spiders and an irrational fear of Lord knows what? Because like, you know, who knows what's going to happen next? And so I sat Jackson down one day and I'm just like, hey, Jackson, you're going to be with me all this week. And so none of the spiders are going to get you. And I'm just like... If you think a spider's gonna get you in the middle of the night, don't freak out. Just like come over in my bed and just like tap me on the shoulder or something like that and let me know. And so I don't think he was gonna call my bluff, but he called my bluff at about 4.30 the first night. <clears throat> it was a long day, man, it was a long day. We had been up since 6 a.m. because we were getting the campgrounds ready and then Jackson woke me up at 4.30. I didn't go back to sleep that night and it was, it was just a long week. And so I just knew that Jackson trusted me because he woke up at 4.30 even though spiders were on the floor because spiders weren't on the floor and I was just like, okay. So I went under his bed. I started smashing spiders on his bed. The entire cabin woke up at 4.30. It was a long experience because, you know, you wake up a bunch of first to third graders in the morning they just want to talk about the spiders that I just smashed. And so I went all the way to the bathroom to wash my hands because I smashed a bunch of spiders. And that moment, Jackson knew that I was a man of my word, that I was going to protect him from all the spiders, even though there weren't any spiders. The moment that there was a spider kind of freaked me out because the spider was huge. But we won't talk about that. Uh, we just won't talk about that. Um, and so just a man of your word. And so even though there were no spiders, even though Jackson was in no real trouble, he just felt so, so comfortable with me as his head male counselor, um, just to come to me with everything, with anything. He trusted me, he was patient with me, and that's the message of Hebrews 6. And so we're gonna talk about Genesis 12 through 21. I know we're talking about Hebrews 6, but in about 15 minutes, it's gonna make a lot of sense, okay? So bear with me as I tell another story. <laughs> and so, okay, you can laugh if it's not funny too. Make you feel good about myself. And so, Genesis 12 is just this weird, Genesis 12 through 22 is like this weird dialogue. A lot of us know the story um, of Abraham, but it's just this weird dialogue between God and Abraham. Um, because the first 12 chapters, um, you just see it just not working out. Creation is just not working out. And not so much creation is just not working out. Just like mankind, the relationship between mankind and God just isn't working out. We see, you see God pretty much destroy the earth with Noah's Ark. He packed up everyone, all the animals, two and two, side by side, packed up Noah's family, and they moved away. And then we see the Tower of Babel, where God was pretty much close to killing mankind for a second time. And so they 
climbed up and God was like, no, different languages, different species, and one spread out throughout the world again. And so now we have Abraham, and God's pretty much like, hey, I'm going to start over with Abraham. Like, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, da-da-da, this whole spiel, we all know this, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Abraham's the father of many nations. But the process is, is that Abraham doesn't have a kid. So around the time that God makes his promise to Abraham, um, Abraham's about 75 years old, and his wife is around like, Mm, 66, 67. Don't check um, my math. I'm really bad at it. I got a D in high school, my first day in high school. Geometry was awful. But she's around 66. And so um, we oftentimes like overlook it because these people lived for so long back in Abraham's time. But in Genesis, in the Bible, they just talk about how old these people are. And so I guess the equivalent would be having a kid at 50, right? I think that'd be the equivalent. I don't know. I don't have kids, so I can't attest. But like, they were so old um, that God's like, hey, you're going to have a kid. And then his wife, Sarah, laughed. And then God's like, Sarah, why'd you laugh? And then Sarah was like, I didn't laugh. And he was like, I heard you laugh. Why'd you laugh? And now she's just like salty. And so, um, oh, you guys don't know what salty means. This is Chicago stuff. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I am from Chicago. Um, so if that like takes away, I don't root for the Cubs. So if you want to like pay attention again, that'd be cool. Um, but God makes this promise to Abraham. So 25 years later, um, in around verse, chapter um, 18, 19, 20, um, 18, 19, Abraham's just like, hey, God, 25 years later, I don't have a kid. And so um, Abraham jacked it up some way where he ended up having a kid with someone else. And God's like, no, you're going to have a kid through your own body and your Sarah's wife and your wife, Sarah. And so he, he almost ruined this. He almost butchered it again. And so we almost walk into a third time. In the first book of the Bible, where mankind jacks up God's plans. And so, and so God, you know, he reconvenes with Abraham. He's like, hey, you're going to have a kid through your wife, Sarah. A couple years later, he ended up having this kid, Isaac. My name's Isaac. I got really accustomed. There are like four Isaacs floating around Durley, so I got really accustomed to saying my own name. And so, like, thank the Lord for Durley, because this would have been really awkward if I had to change this dude's name. Because my name's Isaac, but it's okay. But he ended up having Isaac. And so they had this big feast in Genesis, uh, Genesis 21. They had this huge feast because they had the kid. The promise is here. Years go by, and Isaac is growing up, right? And so um, we, 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 see now, we see now God testing Abraham in Genesis 22. And so everyone can open your Bibles to Genesis 22. Are you guys already there? Oh, snap. Okay, everybody else ain't got it. So we'll give everyone time because some people are ahead of the curve. Genesis 22. Genesis 22. I don't want to lift this thing up again because I think it's going to fall again. So I want to ruin the worship set for later. So Genesis 22. All right, we're going to start at verse 3. Then we're going to bounce around a little bit. Um, verse 1 and 2 to say, hey, Abraham, go kill your son uh, in worship. So verse 3. Yeah, um, split the wood for the burnt offering. He set off for the place of God. He set off for the place God had directed him. On the third day, he looked up and saw the place from a distance. Abraham told his two servants, "Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I are going over to worship. Then we'll come back to you." Seven. Isaac said to Abraham, his father, "Father, yes, my son. We have flint wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering?" Okay, now let's stop. Now let's think about this. Let's paint this picture in our head. All right. God told Abraham of this promise that he was going to have a son. They end up having a son named Isaac. This is the son of promise. And so now God is telling him, okay, I need you to go kill your son, all right? I need you to sacrifice him and things like that. And 
verse one and two, Abraham's just like, okay, I'll go do that. But like, picture how dark of a feeling that is when you have to kill your only son. All right, because like, he had another son, but like, as we see in the text, Abraham pretty much dismissed him early. And God's just like, do what your wife says. I'll still bless this kid. But like, this is the kid of promise. And so right now, what we see is God challenging Abraham in a way where he has to, re- he has to really think about what he loves the most. Does he, lo- does he love the promise most or does he love God most? Because right now, the, the promise is disappearing. But just look at the faith that Abraham has at the end of verse 5. He's like, hey, we're going to worship and hey, we're going to come back. All right, so just think about the faith. All right, so let's dive back in. Verse 8, Abraham said, son, God will see to it that there's a sheep for the burnt offering, and they kept walking together. The faith, man. They'll arrive, they arrived at the place in which God had directed him. Abraham built the altar. He laid out the wood. Then he tied up Isaac, laid him on the wood. Abraham reached out, took his knife, killed his son. All right, now stop. Don't read. Everybody stop. Everybody stop reading. Everybody stop reading. <laughs> Kids do that all the time. They just keep reading because they want to, like, keep looking at the story. So, But, okay, now think out. Think of how dark that is, right? All right if you're a parent and you have a kid, just think about walking your kid up to this altar. Um, and let's forget about the promise for a minute, all right? Because, like, before, previously, um, Abraham told his son, like, God will have something for us, right? Like, God prom- like. God didn't promise him a sheep or anything like that. He just had faith in God. Um, he had faith in the promise. He had faith in God. He just loved God. He believed God loved him. That, like, something was going to happen. And so imagine this walk with his son. Um, and there's just, like, so much hope going on in Abraham's life, right? Because he has this faith, but it's more hope, okay? He has faith that God will provide and things like that. But he's hoping for something, right? He's hoping for something, okay? And Abraham doesn't necessarily know what he's hoping for. He's just hoping that God will provide for something. And so, like, if you're a parent, just think about just, like, your favorite kid, all right? Just don't pick a kid. Pick your favorite kid, the one that's harder to let go, okay? And, like, a picture walking him up to this, um, to this mountain, all right, and getting ready to, like, he tied him up. He pulled out his knife, and he was getting ready to cut his kid. Some translations say that he even laid this kid on, on the wood, right? And so picture, like, picture the darkness um, of this scene, right? And so if you're a kid, think of your parent taking you up his altar. Like, this isn't an easy scene. Because, like, I'm not letting my mom or my dad let me on any wood. Tie me up. Get ready to cut me with a match in her hand. That's just not going to happen. All right? But, but like, all right, let's, I was too funny. I'm sorry. Um, just think, <laughs> let's look at the darkness of this scene. Like, what does this dialogue look like? All right? And so Abraham takes out his knife and he gets ready to cut his son on this altar. Um, verse 11. Just then, the angel of God called him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, <laughs> okay, it's only funny in my head. I'll share. Um, <laughs> picture how close Abraham was to cutting his son, and then he's like, Abraham, Abraham, no. And just, <laughs> Abraham's like, yes, yes. <laughs> he's just like, get ready to cut this dude up. Okay, <clears throat> 12. Um, don't lay a hand on that boy. Don't touch him. Now I know fiercely, now I know how fiercely you fear God. You, don't, you didn't hesitate to place your son, your dear son, on the altar for me. Abraham looked up. He saw the ram caught by his horns in the thicket. Abraham took the ram, sacrificing the birth offering of his son. How fast did he cut that ram up, right? Like, he he cut that ram up real quick. Like, he saw the ram. He was just like, stab, stab, stab. All right, verse 15. (laughs) All right, pay attention to verse 15 and 16, because this will come later. The angel of the Lord. I can't get that picture out of my head. Like, he just ran over his head. thing and started chopping that Was Isaac still tied up in the corner somewhere? No, I'm sorry. Um, verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, 
I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities from their enemies. 18. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed. So with all that said, let's hop over. All right, if you're ready, say ready. If you're not ready, say it. I'm not ready. All right, I guess everybody's ready. Um, <laughs> all right, Hebrews 6. We're going to go 13 through 16. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he had no greater by whom to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Human beings, of course, swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath given to the confirmation puts the end of all dispute. Okay, so let's put some historical context to it, because like sometimes we swear to things all the time, it doesn't mean as much. But if you've ever seen like a gangster movie or anything like that, this is pretty much similar to those times. And so a popular one now is like, I swear by my mother's grave. I swear by my mother's grave because like, I mean, your mother was an awesome person. But you said something like that back in those times, back in Abraham's times, back in this author's times. It's like, hey, I swear by my niece, right? Because that's, that's somewhat similar, right? I swear by my niece. If you swear by your niece and you didn't keep your word, you, you kind of swear by somebody greater than you or someone like they can like chop up, you know what I mean? Because like if you swore and they found out you were lying, that person's dead. Like if you say, I swear by my family, it's like, okay, like I'm taking your word because you swear by your family. And so you swear by your family, now you're chopped up. But what this text is saying is that God told this to Abraham because there was no one swear, greater to swear by, right? And so what is God going to swear by? He's going to swear by me. He was like, I swear by Isaac. Well, no, I created Isaac. You know, I swear by Chick-fil-A. Oh, I created the guy who created Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. And so, like, he's just, like, just think of how powerful something like that is. It's just like, if I swear to you, I'm swearing to you by myself um, because there's nobody greater than me. So if I'm not coming through on my promise, then I'm not God, okay? And so it's pretty much one of those things where God challenged Abraham in a real way, and God was just like, hey, I'm God, and I'm going to prove to you that I'm God. I'll make you this promise because I'm God, okay? And if I don't come through on this promise, then I'm not God. I'm not who I say I am. And as we see through, through Abraham, through David, through Mary, through Jesus, God came through on his promise, okay? And so the faith and obedience of Abraham allowed God to come through on his promise. Because like we saw, like I talked about before, like Abraham almost jacked that up. When I say jacked it up, he almost jacked it up bad, okay? And so God had a promise for Abraham, and through Abraham's obedience and his constant faithfulness to God, God came through on his promise. It's one of those things where it's just like, Abraham, you sit here, and God's just like pouring out blessings. It was a two-way street. It was Abraham had to do things. Um, and God met Abraham where he was, you know? If Abraham doesn't take his son to the altar to sacrifice him, Abraham's now, all he's doing is testing God's faith, testing God's loyalty, testing the promise, because Abraham's more in love with the promise than he is with God. And I get it, it's hard, because I don't know if I'm taking my kid, I don't know if I'm taking my niece, I might take my nephew, I don't know if I'm taking my niece to the altar to sacrifice and burn him, burn her on the altar. It's just not happening. But like Abraham was so in love with God, not the promise, but he was so in love with God that he walked his son up, son had questions, his servants had questions, his wife probably had a lot of questions. No sheep, where are you sacrificing? Because in those times, like, you get killed for for not following the rules of um, sacrifice were given to the Lord. You're just looking, what is it, First Samuel or Second Samuel? The guy touched the altar, he died, David cried. You get killed for things like that. And so Abraham took Isaac up to the altar, got ready to kill him. He found the ram and killed the ram. 
But this is a picture of just how obedient and how much Abraham loved God and he recognized the power of God, right? Um, 17, 18. In the same way, when God desired to show even more clearly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible that God would prove false, <laughs> we have taken refuge and might strongly encourage to seize the hope set before us. And so Abraham had hope, like he, he hoped, and that's what he held on to. That's what he had to cling to. Um, he, God swore by himself. He was like, hey, I'm going to bless you. You showed me your faithfulness. You showed me how much you love me. Um, you showed me how much you didn't necessarily care. Like, I promised you these things. I can't lie. And that's what Hebrews 6 is telling us, is that God can't lie. And so we can cling on to the fact that we're blessed because God can't lie. All right, let's finish a little bit. 19. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters, inner, enters the inner shrine behind the curtain, where Jesus is the forerunner, on our behalf has entered, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And we'll talk about, well, you'll talk about, I'm going back to Chicago, I'm sorry. You guys will talk about in the next couple of weeks about Melchizedek. He only appears a couple of times, but he's really, really important, especially to people who aren't Jews. Okay, and so... How many Jews do you have in the room? I don't have many Jews in the room. So he's really important. And so I would encourage you to come the next couple of weeks. But our hope in God is the anchor of our soul. All right? It's the thing that keeps us through, right? It, it, it's the thing that, um, it's just the thing that keeps our Christian faith so strong. And so, um, like, we hold on to the promises because we know God can't lie. And that helps anchor our soul. The message translation says that gives us something to hold on to with both hands and just, like, never let go. Because, like, if we're just looking, if we're looking at the rules, if we're looking at the commandments, if we're looking at every time we mess up, that can't sustain a Christian life. And so, um, something that I struggle with working in Durley, especially the last couple weeks, <clears throat> especially the last couple weeks, was that um, these kids would come, especially as a head male counselor. Like, they'll come to you and they'll open up about their lives, especially as a head male counselor, because, like, they put us up on this video and just like, if you need anything, ask your counselor. But if you don't like asking your counselor, ask the head male counselor, because more than likely, you'll like them. That wasn't true all the time, but it was true sometimes. Okay, and so these kids would come to me after services, during free times and things like that, and they would open up to me about their lives. They would talk about how um, dad wasn't drunk and dad told them there'll never be anything in life. And like, these are kids, these kids are like in fourth grade, these kids are like in fifth grade, um, and, and they're only here for like three, four, five days, and then they just go back home. And so like, what does it look like? Because we had these kids in two services a day. All right, and so it's a six, or six to ten service total a week. And so we have these kids, and these kids go through this life-changing experience. They encounter the gospel for the first time. Um, they get prayed for, and then it was just like, it was just so, it was just such a dark feeling. At night, I would go to sleep at night and just think, like, these kids are getting ready to go back home to these things. Their parents didn't come. <clears throat> Their parents didn't come to camp. Their parents didn't come to get the healing. These kids are going to go back home. This dad's going to call his kids stupid again. This kid's going to, like, you know, go back to cutting. Or these kids, like, drink. Like, I talked to a kid in seventh grade who had a drinking problem because his dad had a drinking problem. And so I just sit here and I think, you know, I talk to these kids. And it's like, they're getting ready to go back home. And this is my life for an entire summer. And, like, it broke my heart. And so about a week ago, uh, man, about a week ago, I'm talking to this girl. And she's just like, yeah, man, it's like, isn't it so fun that we get to talk to kids about these things? I'm just like, how, like, how can a person find this kind of hope, right? Like this, like, this girl was just talking about how 
um, her, her mom just got divorced because her sister was molested. And so um, she was like opening up to the counselor and she was like, yeah, it's awesome that she came here. I'm so happy she gets to go back home. After this high, I'm just like, what are you talking about? Because like she's going back to a super broken home. And like, I'm just like going on, and I'm just going on this rant. Like I'm ranting. We're like in the car together. We're on a 45 minute drive. And for about 40 minutes of it, I'm ranting. Like it's a straight rant. Um, and just like how upset I was and like I, like, I just thank her so much for just sitting in the car and just hearing me just like, I was, I was just upset. I was so upset. It was like one of those rants that you can't put on TV, um, even on HBO, because like they're probably, you know, <laughs> words. And so like I was just so upset. I was so mad, um, especially because like these kids come and then they go back home and then we see the parents that they go home with and just like, ah, oh, man, that's the dad that I just want to beat up so much today. Um, those, like, it, it just broke my heart and like for 40 minutes, I'm just like in the car and I'm screaming. I'm enraged, right? And um, she was like, I have hope in these kids. And she said that one time and I was just like, oh, where do you find this hope? And then I started going on another rant about like, how much hope I had in these kids. And I'm just so grateful for these kids to come to camp. But then they get to go home with their idiot parents or, you know, the parents that call them an idiot or something like that. Um, and then, like, she talked again. She was just like, I just, I just I have no choice but to have hope. And it's like, all right, that's cool. All right, let me continue my rant. And then we, you know, we get to the place that we're supposed to go to. And she's just like, she's just like, Isaac, this is one of those things where, like, I realize what God has done for me in my life. And so that allows me to cling to um, what God can do in somebody else's life. And, like, in the car, like, okay, I'm a crier sometimes. But I, I cry alone, okay? I don't want anybody else to see me crying. Like, this is really embarrassing, okay? But I had no choice but to break down in tears. Because, like, how unfaithful am I to think that these kids can go home and they can't experience the same love of Christ um, that I went through, right? And so the message of Hebrews 6, because like we read, out through, we, we read through Hebrews, and if you read it a couple times, you read it three times, I encourage everyone to read Hebrews, the entire book, um, more than once consecutively. If you read the book of Hebrews, the tone is um, that yes, Christ is the greater this person, Christ, Christ is the greater Moses, Christ is the greater Abraham, Christ is the greater um, Melchizedek. Um, but we read the tone of Hebrews and the author is writing to a people they're struggling. Um, a lot of these people are hurt. A lot of these people are struggling. And so um, the author of Hebrews is just encouraging them. It's like, hey, don't give up because hope is the anchor of our soul. Hope is the thing that gives us to cling on to. And so I just sat there in the car. Um, I just sat in the car. I mean, thinking of just like how much I lacked hope, not even for other people, just how much I lacked hope for myself how much I just like want to do things myself. And so as the author of Hebrews encourages the people in Hebrews, um, I just pray um, that you just never lose hope. Abraham had to wait 25 years um, to see even part of his promise come through. And even when his promise came through, um, it was in jeopardy because God just wanted to see. God, I don't think, I don't think that God tested Abraham so that God can see um, what Abraham would do or anything like that. But Abraham had to believe um, that he really believed. And so um, I just pray right now, it's like whatever you're going through, I don't know what you're going through. I don't even know the way what a lot of you guys are going through. Um, so tough weeks, tough years, um, just cling on to this one truth, um, that God has promised you something. And just don't give up on God. Just have hope in God. Um, whether it's, you know, three weeks, three years, or 30 years, I just pray that you just never give up. So as I pray, um, I think the worship team is going to come up. Am I going to sing? Because I can sing. I can do a couple. All right, Bill's going to come up. All right, Bill's coming up. And so um, I'll just pray and let Bill come up. 
um, and do his thing because I'm really bad at closing things. As you see, I'm just like talking right now, um, just like trying to let the tears dry up so like I can go sit down and like feel like a man. But uh, I'll just pray. Um, and I just pray that um, you guys just like, you didn't learn anything today. I just pray that you go back and read Hebrews 6 for yourselves and, or, or Genesis 22 or Deuteronomy if you want to. But I just pray that you just like crack up your Bible and just like understand um, the promises that God has for you. Just because like the gospel is just such a pretty thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so as I pray, um, Lord, I just pray for every soul in this building right now. I just pray that, uh, that you just reveal yourself in a true way and that you just show your glory in a real way. Um, and right now, Lord, as we believe in you, as we believe in your promises, um, Lord, I just pray for our unbelief. I just pray for the times where um, just whispers come in our head um, that say that you can't do it or whispers that say that we can do it by ourselves. And Lord, I just pray against those whispers. Um, Lord, we believe, but I just pray for our unbelief. I just pray that the gospel is shown um, in a real way. In your name pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to make my seat. God, praise God for Isaac, right? I don't, I don't just mean you. I mean you too, though. But Isaac, you know what's so cool about God? I'm going to keep dragging this thing out here. Is that, you know, we do things, uh, I hope in obedience. I hope you caught all that was unpacked today in Scripture, uh, that we do things in obedience. Uh, and a lot of times when you do things in obedience, you don't see where it's going. <laughs> and I know for some of you that makes you crazy because <laughs> you go, well, I have to know where this is going to come out before I will follow him. Um, I, hope you, I hope you see that, though, that God has things planned that if we just walk into him in faith, that he unfolds his plan for us, which is better than our plan for ourselves. I say that because Isaac uh, prepared a word for us today, and uh, the Lord led him to the story of Abraham. And I took some notes. And I'm not going to review the sermon. It was beautiful, but I want to tell you this. He asked a question. He said, Isaac asked this question. Uh, we have a habit at Family Bible Church on the third Sunday, which happens to be the 19th of July this month. Uh, we do communion. Why? Because that's when we do it. And Isaac said, can you imagine the darkness of laying your son on a pile of wood? Can you imagine being a parent? And it was commended to Abraham's faithfulness. But what we celebrate is a God who laid his son on the wood for us. And Isaac says, uh, where's our hope? It's in Jesus. And so today, through his faithfulness to us, Jesus has led us again to his table to remember the sacrifice, that the hand wasn't stayed, that there wasn't an angel that said, I have something better over here instead, but of a God who says, that's my best, and I give it for you. I want to ask a question as we come today to the communion table, and it's this. What would God see as so precious and valuable that he would give his son? And as crazy as it is, the gospel says it's us, it's me, it's my sin and my brokenness and my lostness that makes this table necessary. So today... We invite you to come to the table and remember what God has done for you. That's what communion is. The night before he was betrayed, Jesus gathered his disciples and he had a meal. And he said, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. That's what communion is a reminder of. And then he took a cup and he said, this is the cup of my suffering, but it's the cup of a new promise that I'm making for you. And he said, every time you eat this, and every time you drink this, I want you to remember 
me. Today, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you can come to this table and remember him. And today, if you don't know him as your Lord and your Savior, and if you don't think that you're worthy of a sacrifice, you're denying the truth of the gospel that God has said. You are worth it. I did it, and it's eternal. And you can come today and receive communion if you would like to do that in his name. Um, I'm going to pray one more time, and then I'm going to invite you to come forward as you feel led, and the band can come forward also. But we're just going to respond as a body of faithful believers in the gospel of Jesus and receiving communion and remembering the sacrifice that was not stayed, that was offered on our behalf. Pray with me. Father God, for the table that you've invited us to, as your children and as sinners who are broken, we remember today as we receive communion together. Father, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the gospel and that we could receive it with joy and gladness, but sincerity and the weight that which it rightly bears. We thank you for what you've done for us. We pray it's worship to you in Jesus' name. Amen.